I titled my message this week, He Almost Missed It. God had a blessing. God had a healing for an individual, but he almost missed it. You know, if God had something good in store for you, if he had a healing in store for you or a, a, a blessing of some sort, would you want to miss it? You want to receive what God has for you, right? You, you, want, to, you want all that God has for you. Now, I'm going to ask some questions here, and you can really, you can wait to the end. Who believes that God is the creator of all things? Who believes that God is the sustainer of life? That every breath that we breathe is a gift from God? Who believes that God is all-powerful? Who believes that God is all-knowing, that He knows all things? How many believe that God knows what is best for you? Knows what is right for you? I have one that believes all those things. Okay, I know, I did, I did. Okay, so who believes all those things about God? Good, every hand goes up. So you know what? If we believe all those things about God, that He has what's best in store for us and knows what is best for us, why should we ever disobey Him? Why should we ever disobey Him? We shouldn't. We should always obey everything that God reveals to us or speaks to us, whether it's something great or something small, something difficult or something simple. Even obey Him in the simple things. The main context of today's scripture is it's a matter of obedience, being obedient to what God has commanded you to do. We're going to look to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus says the girl who was from the land of Israel. And the king, the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal, heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. 
But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal my leprosy. Are not the Abana, the Pafar, the rivers of Damascus, Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God with all his aids and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Then, if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said, Go in peace. So he departed from from him a short distance. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the many stories and accounts of your interaction with mankind to reveal your grace, to reveal your love, and to reveal your power, Father. We thank you and praise you. And Father, may your power be present today. May your power, Lord, just be in all of us, that we would walk in your strength, your might, and your glory. I pray your anointing upon the word today, Father, that it would plant seeds that would grow and multiply many times over to bear fruit for your kingdom, Father. That's why we're here, to bear fruit for your kingdom. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit. And pray that all that we do would be for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, I'm going to look at a little bit at the beginning, at the end of this. Then we're going to go back to the beginning. Looking at commentary, some think it's really strange that he asked for two mule loads of earth. And he's going to take back with him to Syria. And I think, well, it's because he thinks there is no other God but the God of Israel. So he wants a little bit of Israel to take back with him. And that's his, his way of saying, I'm worshiping the same God that Elisha worships. I'm going to honor him. I'm not going to bow down to the false gods. I'm not going to bow down to Ramon anymore. But he said, then he asked for permission. Whenever my master, which is the king, when he goes into the temple and he needs to lean on my arm, I need to continue to be faithful in my service to the king, which requires me to do this one thing. Please pardon me in that. And Elisha says, go in peace. God knows your heart, doesn't He? He knows your heart. Our passage, passage begins with many accolades and praises towards Naaman. 
declaring him to be a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, who was Ben-Hadad, the second king of Aram and Damascus. And he's not just an ordinary commander, not a commander of like a regiment, like a centurion, who would be in charge of a hundred men, not even just a commander that would be in charge of a thousand men. He is the commander of the entire army of Syria. He would be like the defense secretary for the United States. He's over the entire army. He was held in very high favor of the king because he had brought him many victories. But all of these accolades, a great and honorable man, a, a valor, a great commander, but he is a leper. It's followed up with that but. We don't like that on the end of something to identify ourselves, do we? But. He's a pretty good guy, but he has this issue. We don't like that. You know, this had to haunt him. To be a man with such power, such wealth, and have no power over the disease of leprosy. You know, think about that in today's world. You know, no matter how much power you have, you can be the CEO of a magnificent, a Fortune 500 company, but one little sickness or disease can be that butt on the end of your identity. It can identify who you are. A disease like cancer. All the money in the world sometimes cannot save you from it. Heart disease. They might repair some things, but all the money and all the power at times cannot fix the, si the smallest little disease, right? Fill in the blank. He's a great man, but he has this. You know, in the Old Testament, leprosy was a disease in which there was no known cure. It was an uncontrollable, slow-growing disease that would cause... <clears throat> Swollen lumps on the skin and ulcerous scabs all over the body in severe cases. There was a numbness sensation that caused the leper to scratch himself and damage his body unknowingly. A leprous person would look scaly and oftentimes very deformed. Their hair and their body was noticeably white, which made them easy to identify. Their bodies at times would begin to rot. Parts would become deformed. Fingers, toes, and sometimes feet would rot to the place where they would just fall off. A leper would drag himself along and his voice would often sound gruff like a dog growling. A little bit like mine sounds this morning, right? The only hope and rest for the leper in a severe case would be death. Under the Levitical law, lepers were considered unclean. They were forced to separate themselves from public. The mere touch of a leper brought uncleanness. Well, I'll tell you one that wasn't afraid to touch a leper, and that was Jesus. Breathing the same air as a leper was thought to be dangerous. When someone pronounced, was pronounced leprous, they were looked upon as dead and cast out. They would live in leper colonies. Sometimes in caves, sometimes in tents. They were commanded to wear certain clothing, according to Levitical law. Keep themselves a certain distance from other people, so as to not contaminate them. Some of them had to wear bells. They had to cry out, unclean, unclean. 
so that people wouldn't get too close. The rabbis viewed leprosy as chastisement from God because of moral issues. Thank the Lord that there are ways that they can cure leprosy today. Naaman, however, was not an Israelite. So he didn't fall under the Levitical law. But apparently, his leprosy was not so severe that it prevented him from carrying out his duties as a commander of the Syrian army. He was still able to carry that duty out. A very courageous, a very powerful man. You know, there's a couple of unsung heroes in our story today. The first one is the young girl. The young girl that was brought back captive from Israel in one of those raids where they sent out and brought captives back. Her role was just amazing. It's very important in this passage. She apparently had wonderful parents. They believed that this girl may have only been 11, 12, 13 years old. As old as these young girls sitting up here on the front, front pew. But apparently she had parents that taught her about the God of Israel. Apparently taught her about the prophet Elisha and the power that God used in Elisha. She knew these things. We can see God's divine providence in this whole story. That He placed that little girl in that home. That she would say, if my master were in Israel. But you know, her actions reveal something else. The graciousness in her character. It's such a young girl. She could have been angry. Most probably would have been angry. Would have been angry with anybody that had anything to do with stealing her away from her parents. Come on. If someone stole you away, are you going to be mad? Yeah. You're going to be mad. She could have been mad and said, I, she could have said, I can't wait till his disease gets so bad that his feet rot and fall off. But she didn't. She didn't. Instead, she said, if only my master were with the prophet in my homeland, I know, I know he could heal him. She genuinely cared for others, even as a captive. What does Jesus tell us to do? Love your enemies. Pray for them. What a contrast between her faith, the faith of this young servant girl who knew Elisha, and the king of Israel. Naaman goes with this letter. I know it's a little odd that the king sent the letter to the king instead of straight to the prophet, but the king of Israel lives there. He he should have known about Elisha. He says, well, who am I? Am I God? Did I can heal him? He's just wanting to pick a fight with me. That's all he's trying to do. Why didn't he say, there's a prophet in I can't do it, but there's a prophet in the land. I know that he can heal you. Where was his faith? Apparently where it wasn't where it should have been, right? Wasn't in Elisha, the true God that worked through Elisha. When Naaman departed from Syria, Did you catch all that he took with him? Of course, he took a whole entourage of people with him. He took ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. In today's standards, that's around four million dollars. The gold. (laughs) Look at gold. The price of gold, right? So Naaman goes to the prophet, 
with this letter, with the power, with the authority of the letter, with all of this wealth, what does that tell you? Anything? Does it speak anything to you? It tells me he thinks he's going to buy it. That's what it tells me. He's going to buy it. I'm going to buy this healing. i got all this money. He gets in his fine chariot. He's going to the prophet. He's going to buy his healing. I can tell all of you one thing for certain. God's healing, God's power is not for sale. It is not for sale. If there's a pastor or preacher out there that says, well, you send in a thousand dollars and you're going to receive your healing, just turn him off. Because God's healing is not for sale. If, a, if God is truly working through a prophet or a preacher or whomever, evangelist, He's going to give the gift that God has given Him free because it is not for sale. It is not for sale. The prophet refused it. You know, Naaman also came not only with all of this stuff, he came with a preconceived notion of how the prophet was going to heal him. And you know, I was just thinking about this just the other day. And here's why I thought about it. <clears throat> the superintendent, or assistant superintendent called the other day on my phone. He says, hey, he says, need you to come to the office. All right. So I had a little trek to get there because I was all the way down to the service center. And I'm going up. And this is the way the mind works. And I don't think it's just me. I'm thinking, what do I do now? <laughs> what do I do? Did I do something wrong? So then your mind's thinking, oh boy, am I going to get chewed out? Well, then my mind's going, what did I do good? <laughs> Maybe I did something good. That's our nature. If we're going to have get called to the office or someone says, we need to talk about something, our minds begin to work, don't they? Our minds start reeling and we're thinking, what are they going to say? What did I do? All these things start going through our mind and usually it's nothing. Right? But... Naaman, there he is, he leaves Syria. It, it looks to be in the neighborhood of 120 to 150 miles from Syria. So they're going by chariot. Now they're not going out there and getting in their Toyota and getting there in a day or a couple hours. So we're looking probably at a couple or a few days to get there. So he had a lot of time for his mind to work of how Elisha, this prophet, he didn't know his name, he, how is he going to heal him? Alright, so he devised it all in his mind. Verse 11 said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come to me, and he'll stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, and he'll wave his hand over the place. And he's going to heal my leprosy. Alright. He's convinced. He's convinced himself that's the way it's going to happen. Don't we sometimes do the same thing? We put God in a box, don't we? Here, God, this is the way you need to operate. God says, no, no, no. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Naaman's pride was almost his undoing. He was too proud, too stubborn to follow the prophet's simple instructions. He almost bypassed, he almost missed his blessing that God had in store for him. He was furious. Number one, because the prophet didn't even bother to come out himself. Sent a messenger. Elisha knew who was out there. He just sends his messenger out. Hey, 
Go tell the man at the door to go dip in the Jordan seven times. He'll be healed. Now come on. I'm a powerful man. You mean to tell me he's not even going to come out and greet me himself? He don't even think enough of me to send, come to me and give the message himself? Sends a servant, a, a messenger? And to go dip in the Jordan. Well, there's the second thing that made him furious. That filthy old Jordan River. Are not the rivers Abana and Pafar much better, much cleaner? I, why can't I go dip in them? He went away in a huff. Have you ever went away in a huff? Yeah, we have. <laughs> we have. You know, there's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus, I'm going to kind of just jump the New Testament for a moment, then we'll come back. Jesus has an interaction with the centurion that is actually the complete opposite of this. Luke 7, 1 through 9. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and was ready to die. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders to, of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this thing was deserving. For he loved our nation and has built us a synagogue. That Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him. So in this case, the centurion sent messengers, not the prophet, sent messengers to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled in himself, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So this commander was so humble that he didn't even think himself worthy to go to see Jesus. Naaman was so proud that he wouldn't obey the word of Elisha sent to him from a messenger. If Elisha would have told Naaman, we need you to go and conquer this land and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Well, he would have jumped back in his chariot and say, man, let's go. We're going to lead the charge. We're going to go get some more troops. We're going to conquer this land that I might be healed of this dreadful disease. To go dip in the Jordan, friends, think about this for just a moment. This disease that there's no cure for, does it not seem almost too easy? Doesn't it? To me, you think about it. It almost seems too easy. Come on. Just walk down in the water and dip down? Ah, uh, come on. It's quite amazing though, to me, that the servants in this story are the heroes. They're the heroes. I mean, except for Elisha. <laughs> but they're the unsung heroes, if you will. First, the servant girl with the great faith said, if my master was only with them. And then Naaman's servant, who was wise enough to say to him, Father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then just to go dip in the Jordan? Do this simple thing. 
It took a servant to calm him down, to calm that rage, and say, Master, you've got nothing to lose. I'm paraphrasing here. You've got nothing to lose, right? You might get a little dirty in that muddy old Jordan. And if it doesn't work, then you can go to them other rivers and wash off. But you have nothing to lose. Benjamin Franklin said, There is perhaps not one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I would probably be proud of my humility. Well, I washed the feet of 20 guys today. Well, I washed the feet of 25. You know, we would be proud of our humility. We can be. Help us, Lord, not to be prideful in our humility. God knew that Naaman needed more than a physical healing, didn't he? He knew that he needed healing on the inside because he was full of himself. Full of himself. I mean, he went away from there in a huff. He jumped in his fancy chair. Now listen, they're wealthy. What did he take with him? Almost $4 million worth by today's standards. So he jumped in his fancy chariot. It had mag wheels, leather seats, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Fancy chariot and went away in a huff. I'm not listening to him, but that servant says, Master, Father, listen. It's not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. Obey. Obey this simple thing that the prophet has commanded and see if you'll be healed. Can you imagine when he finally humbled himself? He gets out of his chariot, that fine chariot, walks down to the riverbanks, and all his guys are there. They're watching. They're standing on the riverbanks watching. What's going to happen? What would have happened if he'd have walked down in there and only dipped three times and said, ah, I'm not doing this? What would have happened? Nothing. Nothing, exactly. He wouldn't have been healed. He could have been a little bit dirty from that water, right? He wouldn't have been healed. God needed Naaman to humble himself. My friends, he wants us to humble ourselves. He does not want it, us to do it our way. That's the problem today. Many people want to do it their way. We want to do things our way. We want to have our own way. We don't want someone telling us what to do or how to do it. We want to be able to say, I did it my way. Don't we? I did it my way. Friends, God's way is always the right way. He wants us to come to the place where we say, God is right, therefore I will obey even if it means humbling myself. Humbling myself to go dip in that dirty old Jordan. If God had told Naaman to do that great thing, as I said, surely he would have done it. But here's the problem. He would have thought he had earned that healing, wouldn't he? I did this great thing, therefore I earned this healing. I contributed to that healing. The humbling process revealed to him who God really was and that God must be humbly obeyed. Great ending in verses 15 and 16. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know. It's kind of like it's sunk in. 
or the light bulb came on. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused it. We need to obey God's word, obey God's directions, obey His voice, obey the Spirit, whatever is speaking to you. We need to obey it even when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes that's a tough one. Because we like to make sense. We like to think what the outcome is going to be, don't we? My friends, even if it doesn't make sense, obey Him. All those who serve God, my friends, should not be doing it for financial gain. But out of love, out of obedience to the Lord, Elisha refused the gift. My friends, God is a giver, not a taker. And if we are working for Him, we should be a giver and not a taker. Naaman's healing from leprosy is also a wonderful picture of our salvation from sin, isn't it? Simple faith, simple obedience. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him, that we should walk in them. So my friends, Naaman's story is a wonderful picture. He couldn't learn it. He just had to do that simple thing and obey. And that is where our faith and our hope in eternal life lies. Simply obeying. Obey, have the faith of a child. My friends, that's where it begins. As a child trusts their parents and will trust and, and, and know that they're going to protect them, keep them, and watch over them, that's a simple faith it takes to trust in God. We're not going to earn it. We could have all the money in the world. We could do all the amazing great deeds in the world. That is not going to save us. We could preach to thousands. We could preach to millions. That is not going to save us. I heard Billy Graham one time say, I'm not going to heaven because I've preached to millions of people. I too am going to heaven only because of the work of Jesus Christ on that cross. Because of the blood that he shed and my faith. My simple faith in him. It's our simple faith in God. Trusting him. Obeying him. In the great things. But also in those little things. Trust him and do not miss the blessing that God has in store for you. How simple to walk down in that river and receive such an amazing blessing. So remember that when we go about our, our lives and, our, and the things that we do. Even those simple things, we could receive a great blessing. But give Him the glory and the honor for it. Amen?